Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Dramatic pause. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. We are entering a lot of things this month. It's the second week of January, but uh, a lot of things have happened within this time because one, uh, our dearly loved Tamara is now away. Uh, some of you guys know her well. Some of y'all are like, who's that? But um, she has officially left to BMTs and we miss her dearly. And she was like our built-in volunteer. She's always able to help um, set up things uh, as well as uh, help at home. And so uh, beyond her great service, she's deeply missed in our hearts. Um, if any of y'all want to write her something, uh, just talk to, talk to Lauren and she could give you the address uh, for it, her to receive letters and whatnot. Um, also today, we are starting our annual 21-day fast. 21, day, uh, 21 days of fasting and prayer. We do this 21-day fast every year, and today is the first day of that fast. Um, I always have a hard time going back and forth of what kind of fast I'm going to do. I like doing uh, partial fasts or uh, intermittent fasts where it's like, say, 12 or 20 hours of not eating, um, and uh, you do that for 21 days. But Lauren has convinced me to start out doing the Daniel fast, which is pretty much a vegan diet. And honestly, the reason I refrain from doing Daniel fast like that is because I actually like uh, vegan food, as weird as that sounds. But... As I ate oatmeal this morning, I realized that I do not like oatmeal at all, <laughs> especially without sugar in it. It's what's the point of this stuff? Um, and so we'll, uh, I hope you guys have been considering doing the fast. If you're thinking, oh, well, we already started. It's not too late. You'll notice in all of your chairs, there's a fasting guide that we can talk more about later. But let's get into the message. We are continuing our series called Salt and Light. Salt and Light. And Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about working with what you got. Work with what you got. Work with what you got. And a funny part of even just like how Juan was asking about uh, how we do our graphics and titles and whatnot, uh, the original message, the original title for this message um, uh, was actually going to be Seed Investment and Stewardship. And... The reason it was going to be that message was uh, it was it was an ironic title because typically in church that's a normal kind of sounding message, especially at the beginning of the year, to where you're going to be prepped on how to get get your kingdom economics and finances in order under God by by tithing and, and giving, and it's going to be all about like new practices in your faith, and all circulated around financial gain and financial investment. And so it's really ironic because we're not going to talk about that at all today. <laughs> but uh, the re- I think you'll understand soon because I want to share this scripture. It says in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3, this parable is very, very well-known parable. Jesus says, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth of soil, and when the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. 
other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced it thirty, sixty, and a hundred times as much. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I don't know if you've heard this story before, but typically the way I have traditionally heard the story in church, again, I was not raised in church. I got to church a lot later in life. But what, the way I've always heard this story most portrayed is talking about money. This is like an offering call scripture. And you'll reap 30, 60, and 100 fold. It's like it's perfect for an offering call. It's like right now let's pass around some buckets and talk about sowing seed. And it's all about money, money, money. But our first point is... What are you doing? What are you doing? And I really feel like this is a projection to us in our individual lives and us as a church, the church as a whole. What are we doing? What are we really focused on? God cares more about the way you treat people than the way you treat money. God cares more about the way you treat people than the way you, you treat money. This is Jesus in the same scripture. Jesus says exactly what this parable means. That's what's most interesting to me is that we have the translation, but we're what's most been portrayed is in an analogy of what it could mean. There are other scriptures that talk about where where the Bible gives reference of seed being uh, seen as financial, uh, talking about. He who soweth sparingly, reaps sparingly, etc., and other parts of Scripture. But we have exchanged the idea of earthly things. We've traded out the things of God for the things of our flesh. Because look at what Jesus says the Scripture says. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all of the other parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones sown with seeds. On the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and yet they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown with seed among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones sown with seed on good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 times as much. What are we doing? See, the scripture, we so commonly trade out the things of God for the things of our flesh. The scripture clearly explains itself as talking about souls to be saved, yet it is most described as a financial miracle plan to give more money so you can receive more money. We have fallen so far away from the heart of God to where we so quickly grab onto the things of our flesh and, and manipulate scripture to fulfill our desires rather than fulfill it what it was intended for. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And even as it, I mean, isn't it ironic that as Jesus is describing 
that the thorns that choke out the 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 plant that actually was able to grow it had good it was planted firm and it grew and it got choked out by the thorns and he says it was choked out these are things that could be described as the deceitfulness of wealth and it's what is choking out the plant and in our churches today we trade out this idea of it meaning souls being saved for the idea of wealth is that not ironic we have choked ourselves we have constricted ourselves from finding something so much better than the things of this world. You will forever be susceptible to manipulation unless you acquire knowledge. That's a basic truth in all of the world. When it comes to politics, we'll believe whatever they say if we don't have knowledge. When it comes to any kind of education, when it comes to the news, when it comes to the Bible, religion, we will believe whatever we're told if we don't have knowledge ourselves. When it comes to uh, our, our faith, it is the most accessible knowledge out of all other religions. The Quran is not the most sold book in all of the world. That was the Buddha, Buddhist book. Anyone that it, there's no other book sold more in the world than the Bible. It's the most number one sold book in the world. And it's the most accessible form of literature in all of the world. It is completely free on an app. Version Bible app is something that it is revolutionized scripture in our world to where it's the most accessible form of doctrine in all of the world to where you can access it anywhere in the world through, through, uh, through this. Not only that, you can find uh, it's in multiple languages, multiple translations. It's just like so prevalent. And even though it's the most accessible uh, knowledge out of all other religions, people with far less access know more about their beliefs than we do about ours. We are basing our entire eternity. We're basing our current lifestyle, how we live off of our faith in Christ. Don't you think that we should equip and edify ourselves a little bit more in this faith? If, even if we were to just, we can't even grasp the idea of eternity, just how we live right now. I mean, to think that I, I, I'm living a repented lifestyle. I, don't, I, I choose not to do uh, certain things that could be pleasurable because I see this sin. Think about that for a moment. I choose not to do these things because of my faith. If I were to just die and there's nothing, that's, it's things like that where Paul says we are the most to be pitied if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Because not only do we choose this, this, this righteous, holy lifestyle that has uh, these, this idea of restrictions, but people are even persecuted for their faith. Think about all the martyrs, all the people that have have died because of their faith says we'd be the most to be pitied if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. This parable shows us that we have an unlimited supply of seed being the gospel message and that when we spread it, meaning that we're supposed to spread the seed, we will run into different kind of results. So Jesus describes an idea of stolen seed, scorched seed, strangled out seed, and then sweet seed. 
The stolen, let's just break these down for a moment. The stolen, it says that the devil com that comes and takes the seed away. Th this is the idea of uh, when people are distracted, blinded, even oppressed or hardened against Scripture, against the idea of God, against the gospel message. Scorched, it, the one with it being shallow roots, this is actually uh, describing emotionally driven people. This, this is actually describing people that, that lack knowledge of God. They have, they have an ignorance of Scripture. And it, it describes it as circumstantial acceptance. A circumstantial acceptance. To where the moment things are difficult in life, this is the kind of Christian who says, Man, I, ever since I became a Christian, nothing right has happened. I thought my life was going to get better. Forget this. Things are too hard. Uh, I didn't know that it would, it would be like this. It's emotionally driven. You're going from one high to another. I would argue that most, if you've ever been to an encounter retreat or, uh, or emotionally driven service, most charismatic services is emotionally driven. It's an emotional high to where people are just trying to get, they're just trying to get converted off of the emotions they're feeling at that moment. And they'll bring, they'll, they'll, it's the moments you're bringing up all your past, bring up all your father wounds, bring up all, all of your childhood traumas to where you feel emotional and, and then saying, but God can heal all that. It, there's, there's truths in that. But w when we do that, what I've seen is that those emotionally driven decisions end up denying Christ, if not nine months later, three years later. It is not a lasting salvation. It is something that's emotionally driven. And once those emotions kind of settle down again, well, what am I doing? I, I really liked what I was doing before. It was more enjoyable. I don't even know anybody at this church. It's, it, it, it just is different. And uh, it, is just a, it is not a firm root to stand on. Now there's this, the strangled the, the, the ones that grow up, but they get strangled out, they get choked out by the thorns. This is actually a pleasure-driven Christian. The pleasure-driven Christian. And it's about really pleasing self. It, one could say that this is the idea of being labeled Christian without Christ-likeness. And what I think most motivates this pleasure-driven seed is that it feels good to, to experience God. It feels good to experience the Holy Spirit. It feels good to have this, uh, just these God moments. But it also feels good to do a lot of other things. And that the good, when we, when, if you remember the moments when you first gave your life to Christ, it seems like everything was just so sensitive to your relationship with God. I've joked about it before. It's like when you first give your life to Christ, you turn on the radio and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the exact song I needed to hear. God is totally speaking to me. You're driving around. You're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is here. Look at all these telephone poles that they look like crosses. It's like everything just seems like God is speaking to you and it feels so good. Once that, that initial butterfly feeling fades and, and you have life to deal with, it doesn't feel as just, uh, it, it doesn't feel just like that honeymoon phase of our faith. And you start to go to real, through real things. And since you don't feel that first sense of pleasure like you did at first, 
you start going to the things you used to feel pleasured by. Y'all dig what I'm saying? The reason I'm breaking these down is for us to understand that this kind of fruit, this kind of, these kinds of seeds won't grow the way they need to. They will get choked out. The sweet seed, the sweet soil that Jesus talks about is spirit-driven, receives God's word, and gives out God's word. It's clearly identifiable as Christian. And what I'm getting at is all of these different ideas of our faith. I want us to ask ourselves, what kind of soil do we see ourselves planted in? What kind of soil do you see yourself planted in? Because this is, again, an analogy that Jesus is giving. It's a parable. And he's describing what these different uh, people that have received God's gospel, what it can grow into like. And he gives a, a pathway that, uh, that, is, that is lasting. And he gives warning to these pathways that, will get, that, that won't last. And rather than looking at ourselves in a self-condemning way, as an insecure way, thinking like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, it's not saying I'm not a real Christian. If you were to say, I'm, I'm, I'm in the strangled seat, I'm in the scorched seat, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It means that you need to give firmer foundation to your faith because with time, you're going to get scorched. With time, you're going to get strangled out. And that we have free will to build up our faith because we have access to not only our creator, but we have access to his word. We have access to so many things to edify our faith. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And I want to emphasize something here because I, I feel like on, the, on this point, again, we get so caught up in the things of this world that we neglect the, the real power of God, the truths of God. On this point, I want us to I want to emphasize the the some ideas that are within the church. There, there's an idea of legalism and there's an idea of greasy grace. And if if you've been to church long enough, you'll hear these terms. And it's usually when they're criticizing another church. <laughs> like, oh, we don't go to that church. They're real legalistic. Oh, we don't go to that church. They're greasy grace. And we just criticize and condemn each other. But I want to make a distinction for us to understand the Bible, especially throughout the book of Romans and, and all of the epistles, Paul gives such, uh, at first glance, it almost seems like a back and forth. At one moment, he says uh, things like, uh, in Hebrews, where he says, to continue on uh, in our sin is like trampling on the blood of Jesus. And then in Romans, he'll say something like, uh, not even sin can separate you from the power of God. It, it, it's, it seems almost like back and forth. But what he's trying to do is almost like give, giving a, a less and less extreme each time. He's saying uh, we should not continue in, in sinfulness because it's like trampling on the blood of Jesus. But at the same time, not even sin can, can stop us from the love of God. It, and uh, not even uh, our greatest holiness is like filthy rags to God. It, it gives like such a back and forth, and it's trying to narrow down this idea of what it is to be a Christ-serving Christian, what it is to, to pursue holiness, even though we're imperfect beings. And so 
to, to make it, uh, to, in an attempt to simplify these ideas of legalism and greasy grace, greasy grace is really the, uh, the idea of, of just simply not having any care in the world about uh, no remorse for sinfulness in your life. You have the idea of Jesus is just hell insurance and that you just ask for forgiveness afterwards. We always have this option to ask for forgiveness, but it really goes down to our heart. This, this idea of, of treating something so sacred as something ordinary. Y'all feel that? And it, again, doesn't mean anyone is, is perfect, but it, it shows a lack of reverence in one's heart to just walk all over this freedom that we've been given. Y'all feel that? The legalism side is actually, I, I would say there's two ideas of legalism. There's the, the side that I believe that most people interpret legalism as, and that is really just like that super judgmental idea of looking at the speck in other people's eyes while having this log in your own eye to where uh, people get at, uh, well, you don't even read your Bible. How do you call yourself a Christian? That kind of stuff. That, that's super, both sides are super unhealthy. And every individual is on their own personal, unique walk with God. And everyone is at a different pace. When I first gave my life to Christ, I was definitely not uh, as patient and friendly as the other uh, youth members of the church. But even though I was looked at in a judgy way, like, oh, wow, like he's a Christian. He just yelled at someone in my head. I was like, man, I've come so far. I'm not doing cocaine anymore. <laughs> like it was great progress for me as an individual. But legalism looks at someone's progress and says it's not enough. Y'all feel that the other form of legalism that I think is more of a theological legalism, which I think is even more dangerous than the petty judgmental legalism is it is a the idea that we have to fulfill certain requirements of the law of the old law other than the simple uh, confession of jesus as our savior romans says that if we believe in our heart and confess jesus as our uh, for confess uh to jesus who um, who he is being lord and savior that he died on the cross rose from the dead surely we shall be saved it's a simple Simple affirmation of our faith and, and walking into a changed lifestyle. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you are make, there's a changed moment in your life to where you say, I was, before I was walking away from God, now I'm walking towards God. That's what repentance is. It just simply means to change directions. Well, this type of legalism would project more. That, yes, belief in Jesus uh, and faith in Jesus Yes, we're saved by grace, but you also have to be water baptized in order to be saved. See, that's a small step that the water baptism is definitely an important sacrament of our faith. It's a perfect, it is a, is a, a proper thing to do. But the, the step that you make in saying you have to in order to be saved is what I would project as being uh, theological, theologically legalistic. To where it's a different faith altogether. Some some people would even say start saying things like, uh, "Well, you shouldn't eat pork. I mean, you won't go to hell if you eat pork, but you really shouldn't if you want to be closer to God." It, it, or maybe, "Well, you ought to practice Passover." 
Y'all dig what I'm saying? These are all things of the old law that people often try to resurrect as things that are supplemental to your faith or, or requirements of our faith to really get God to like us. And I would argue that that kind of legalism is the most dangerous. Paul says in the book of Galatians, in depth, about how he does, uh, that he sees our faith, it, we are saved by our faith in Jesus alone, and that, not even, uh, that there's not even a requirement for circumcision in order to be saved. Circumcision is something that goes all the way back to the Ab- Abrahamic blessing, the promise to Abraham, who is the father of our faith, especially when it comes to the Jewish culture. And for Paul, circumcision was more highly esteemed within the Torah, within the Jewish law, than Passover and everything after that. So for Paul to say we we don't need to have circumcision, then it would be foolish to say, well, we shouldn't eat pork, though. Circumcision was more important than all those other things. So to add anything extra is just just ignorant. It's foolish. And if you want to practice other things to, to, to have better understanding for your faith, great, have at it. You want to do additional supplements, things, great. But the, min, the minute and moment that you turn it into a requirement to be saved, you stepped into a form of legalism that is extremely dangerous. And I believe that it's, it's heresy. Y'all, y'all dig what I'm saying? And so I, I hope that makes sense as we're talking about this idea of good soil. We don't want to be uh, uh, take Jesus' blood uh, so in vain, flippantly, in this idea of greasy grace. And we don't want to be so legalistic to where we don't allow for each other's mistakes or imperfections. There's just this, really, I believe the middle line is do your best and forget the rest. I really believe that that's just this, the, the best way to walk forward in this faith in, in an attempt to just have a, a meaningful, edifying relationship with Christ in your life without being strangled out, choked out. And the more that we know Jesus, the more that we will uh, experience him in our faith. So that leads me to our next point, which is know him, show him. Know him, show him. I'm projecting to you guys that your faith is your own. Everything that I am saying is from the perception of the way I read scripture the way that I uh, uh, find fundamental truths. But at the end of the day, you still have to know Jesus yourself. I can only uh, paint the best kind of image I can, but it's still going to be through my lenses. I'm completely throwing myself uh, uh, to you saying, you can know him yourself. And the more that you know him, the more that you will show him in your life. In every aspect, whether it's being shown, showing him to others or showing him in the mirror. The better you know God, the better you will show him. Let me read this scripture continuing from where we left off. In Mark chapter 4, verse 21, it says, And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, is it? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. We, we are called to show our faith. We are called to show our faith. And no Christian is supposed to hide the love of God within them. 
Every person we come into contact with is an opportunity to share a flame of God's love in a cold and dark world. It is absolutely pivotal for us to understand that we are supposed to spread these seeds of the gospel and to show this light. So this last point, I, was, I want us to have an introspective moment thinking what kind of soil have, has my faith been growing in and how can I seek this sweet soil, this good spot. Now I'm projecting that each of us, not only have we grown uh, this faith in our lives ourselves, but that we have this, this mission to spread the seed of God because no one in our faith is, is meant to be on the bench or on the sidelines. No one is meant to be on the bench or the sidelines. We are all called to show Jesus in our lives and in this world. And what I find the biggest hesitation that we have as Christians is simply feeling like we're barely getting to know God. I'm just getting started. I don't know how to show him. I just barely started to know him. And we have such great insecurities in our faith because we, we have this constant feeling of our human nature, our, our uh, sinful flesh, making us convinced that we're not good enough to be used by God. It's simply not true. I, I, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is when Paul says that man's greatest holiness is like filthy rags to God. I love that verse because it lets me know, it's like, I don't have to try to be perfect. I'll never get there. The, the most holiest, righteous person that could ever be found, they cannot earn their way into holiness. It's only by the blood of Jesus. I can simply just do my best and forget the rest, but I'm clinging to a Savior. There's, there's, it doesn't matter how good I am or how bad I am, I'm clinging to Jesus. And so don't let that self-perception stop you from showing, even if you feel like it's a faint glimpse of Jesus in your heart, don't let that stop you from showing it to someone because it might just be the thing that someone needs right now to know where God is in their life. Think about like the moments where God showed himself to you, especially early on in your faith. Wasn't it almost in laughable moments? I, I, I joke about the stories I said about in the beginning about turning on the radio like, oh, God's speaking to me. But I'm sharing my own personal stories. We laugh about it now. We're all thinking like, oh yeah, I was, I was so young in my faith then. But truly, even those, those little tiny coincidences meant the world to us when we were far away from God. Y'all know what I'm saying? And so now imagine what, your little, what, you, uh, what would be a coincidence for you to just share that little glimmer of a flame that you have in your heart. You don't have to be perfect. It, 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 it's simply having the love of God within you and sharing it with someone else. And the more you increase your knowledge and intimacy with God, the more articulate of an image you will be able to show of him to others. But no matter what, just do your best and forget the rest. Uh, I've said it before that this idea of us having to be perfect it's just not real. The biggest thing that stops so many people that believe in Jesus from going to church is the idea of, well, I want to get right with God first. 
It's, it's backwards thinking. We come to God as we are, and he just makes the wrong things right in our lives. But we so often think that we have to white-knuckle things and make every, try our very hardest to, to be perfect or be, to be this idea of what we think a Christian would look like when it, it's just not necessarily necessary. It's really just coming to Jesus with all that you got and just saying, here I am. And, and that humble heart is all that Jesus is really looking for. That desire to connect with him, that's all God is looking for. And if you allow yourself to see that and to see it's really not about you, it's all about Jesus. When it comes to your own personal faith and when it comes to sharing that faith, it's all about Jesus. You're simply a mouthpiece to, of sharing that love with someone else. So don't hesitate. And when you get those moments where you feel like God is speaking to you, just go out on a limb, take a step of faith, and believe that maybe God just is, is really just asking you to talk to somebody, to say just one, that one comment, or to, to pray for someone, to do something that is a gesture of God's love to them. Which leads to our last point, use it or lose it. <laughs> and this is like, feels like slam, slam down dunk session today. Use it or lose it. With faith, you either use it or lose it. With faith, you either use it or lose it. Let me share the scripture in Mark, going, go all from the same, the same page that we've been on. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him, more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Jesus is giving this imagery of stewardship, saying that we have been given this seed, this, we've been given this faith, and that those who use it well, more will be given. Those who don't use what they have, even what little they have, will be taken away. It, it's a perfect imagery of what it really is like in our faith. It, when we don't take steps or practices in our faith, our faith simply grows cold. That, if you've ever gone through a spell of not going to church, ever gone through a spell of, of not reading scripture, of not praying, you just kind of like slowly like get a little colder and colder to where you believe, but you don't feel that closeness like you once felt. It's, a, it's showing us that when we don't practice our faith, when we don't use our faith, it slowly just grows cold. It's an unflamed, it's an unfanned fire. And your faith is something so special and unique. Your faith has a story to it, but it is scaled by what you put into it and how often you use it. So many people leave it on the shelf for that right moment or that right time or when they're ready mentally. I don't, when it comes to faith, I don't think any of us are ready. It's kind of like when you have kids. You're just never really ready to have kids. You, you try your best, and then once you get it, you're like, I didn't know it was going to be like this. <laughs> A three under three, and I, I realized I had no prior experience with children in my life. I never had babies in the house growing up. Like, I don't even have a little cousin. Like, I, I, I just feel like I'd never had any experience, and I realized that the moment I had my first kid. I was like, why is it waking up all the time? <laughs> I had no, uh, no training. The same thing goes for the first, when you get married. It's like you're just, like, ready or not, and most of the time you're not ready. But when you, when you just... You just get into it. You just start learning as you go. It's like that with faith. 
You just have to just get started. Start where you're at. You don't have to be perfect. You don't need to even be ready mentally. Don't, don't even wait to be in the right mood. Just allow yourself to, to be decided in pursuing your faith, practicing your faith. And you'll be surprised at how much you will grow in your faith. It, it makes me think about prayer. It, I, I don't know about you guys, but the first time I ever prayed publicly, I was like, I don't know what I'm saying. And I'm just like more so worried about how I sound to others. And you, you typically just start saying like, uh, like as if you pray old King James Version. You're just like, Father God, who art in heaven... You are holy, great thou art. You just kind of like go in the, and you just like blank out like, what does this sound like? And, you, and then maybe you're just like, from there, like two seconds, you're like, amen, amen. <laughs> but the, then the second time, the third time, the fourth time, once you actually start practicing this prayer, before you know it, you just kind of like know how to pray. And you just have this, this, this naturalness to you. As you're just talking to God. Because truly prayer isn't anything. It it is special. But it's not anything necessarily unordinary. You're just talking to God. And the more that we practice it. The more finesse we have about it. And it's like that with every other aspect of our faith. The first time you ever try to witness to someone. Jesus to them. And trying to, to share the gospel with someone. Man it feels like the worst first day ever. You, you feel like you're saying all the wrong things. feel like they don't really like you, but you're trying anyway. And it's just an awkward experience. But man, after you do that a couple times, it, all of a sudden people are responding to you. And it's like, uh, it, it's just an incredible experience to, to share your faith with someone and then respond in a positive way. It's the best feeling ever. But so often we, we, we want that but we're too afraid to try the first time. I, I'm urging us to throw off this, this false reality of, of being ready and just jump in with your faith with what you got. God has chosen you. He's called you. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. You, you are perfect in his sight. It says that you are his masterpiece. And so allow yourself to just have the faith to believe that God wants to use you. And then walk with that. Eternity waits for no one. No one knows the day or time when Jesus will come back, let alone the day that the day or time that they will die. So we should stop putting it off for tomorrow and let today be the day where we seize opportunities for change. Let me share this last scripture and then a, a story and we'll close. In Luke chapter 12, verse 20, it says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in relation to God. I wanted to share that last scripture just to expound more on this idea that we really don't know what the days hold. It makes me think about when I was really early on in my faith. And I was out of high school I had gone to, through a ministry internship, so I was, all, I was really equipped uh, fundamentally, like knowledgeably, of our faith. And I had practiced uh, uh, our, my faith so much. I would do high school and middle school clubs uh, Monday through Friday. 
I, I, I was regular at ministering to young people and students on a regular basis. And, and it's just like sharing my faith was already natural to me. And there's a, after all that, I remember I was just serving at my church, my old church, and there's a moment I was working, ordinary day job. I wasn't at church. I wasn't supposed to minister as in my ordinary life with my ordinary job. And I was going to a business to try to sell oil to them. <laughs> and, and as I was at this business, we regularly supplied them oil. And I would talk to the owner like, hey, do y'all need any more oil? There's a, there's a, a, a oil change spot for just regular cars. It's like, do y'all need any oil? And I was seeing what the owner might need soon. And I noticed a guy there that, that I went to high school with. And I said, oh, hey. We kind of caught up real quick. Like, oh, you, when did you start working here? Oh, I just started. Okay. <laughs> And I remember as I was leaving, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me so strongly, go, go talk to that guy about Jesus. At least invite him to church. Do something. And I was like, no, I'm not here for that. There's a, there's a time and place for those things. God doesn't work in confusion. I'm trying to justify all the reasons. Simply, I just felt insecure and I, didn't, I wasn't like mentally ready to do that. I got all the way in my truck, turned it on, and felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit. Just like, just go in there. I was like, fine. And I turn off the truck. I stomp, start stomping back up the, the, the driveway to the business. And I see that guy go in the restroom. I was like, oh, well, he's going to the restroom. I can't. And so I got back in my truck and left. Justified myself. Well, he's, he's doing something now. I can't bother him. And see, I told myself, next time. Next time I will. Next time it will be better. Next time it will be the atmosphere will be more ready. It'll just be more presentable. It'll just be different next time. Well, next time happened, and it just seemed like I was in a rush, and so was he, so I just left. And just I kept finding a reason why that wasn't a good time. Next time I'll be ready. Next time will be better. And I did that for a couple of weeks. And one day I showed up, and I was looking around. I didn't see that guy, and I asked the owner, hey, what happened to so-and-so? Oh man, he died over the weekend. I remember just feeling this like shock all over my body. This, this sobering feeling of, of realizing that what I thought was just ordinary, what I thought was just supplemental, just extra, was actually God really ministering to me to talk to somebody. That, and it was an important moment that I took for granted. Now, I'm not saying that that was his only chance or only hope. I'm not saying that he, anything like that. God can use anyone uh, besides me and could have done a hundred thousand other things for that young man. But to know that God wanted me to do something important and I made excuses of why not to. God wanted me to use my faith, but I didn't want to use it. We never really know why God is telling us to do something. Why he's ministering to us in, in the way he is. Why he's leading us. You need to understand that you are much more important than you realize. You're much more valuable than you realize. And God is already using you in ways that you don't even see. And he wants to use you in even more intentional ways. With that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here today 
and you feel like just this sense of surrender in your heart. You're just like, God, I, I really want to, I don't want to put things off like how in Homer's story, I want to, I want to really decide in my heart right now to just use my faith when you call me to use it. I really want to decide to act when you tell me to act and to practice my faith. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see all your hands. Holy Spirit, you see every person here and you see their heart's desire to simply do your will. They have a heart of surrender to you. And I pray that you just give confidence in them right now. That you'd remind them of this moment where they made a decision. And that when the opportunity arises, you will give them the right words to say, the right things to do. And that they would not have to worry or be scared or intimidated, but have a confidence knowing that you are using them and that you are with them. Now, if you're here with every head bowed and eye closed, and you're just thinking about the different types of soil we talked about at the beginning, and you are just establishing in your heart this idea of wanting to have this just really this right relationship with Jesus. That's, that's on good soil, good ground. And you just want to know him more and show him more in your life. And you want to just increase and edify your knowledge and faith in God. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. God, do the work in their lives right now. I pray the Holy Spirit's power within them to fill them up, encourage them, Put a fire deep within their soul and just make them passionate about the things of God right now in this moment. Fire them up, Lord, and give them an overwhelming peace and assurance that this is the right thing for them in their lives right now. Give them confidence knowing that their relationship with you is unwavering and that they don't have to double, uh, double think or look back and wondering if they are on the right path or not because they are making de they made a decision right now in this moment to just simply know you more and show them you more in their lives and they want simple gospel in their faith. And finally, if you're here and you need to make a decision simply to trust in Jesus for the very first time. You've never had a moment to where you really went to this redeemer Jesus and made a decision of your life to trust in him as a savior. And you want to do that today. With every head still bowed and eyes still closed. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead for the sins of the world, surely you shall be saved. It's saying that if you simply talk to Jesus with an authentic heart, that's all it takes to start this relationship, this journey with him. Repentance just means to change direction. It doesn't mean we're perfect overnight. It just means that we're walking with Jesus, towards Jesus, right now in this moment. You don't need me to lead you through a special pretty prayer. You can talk to God yourself. And just say, Jesus, I know what you did. I know that you rose from the dead. I just know it in my heart. I believe it. And I want to walk with you. Have your own moment with him. You talk to him and just be authentic. And let this be a day 
where you just where you know you could even write down that you made a decision that you made a decision to follow Jesus. God, I thank you for everything that you're doing in people's hearts and lives right now, and I pray that you finish what you started. We surrender to you, and we want you to fulfill and finish the work you started in us. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are good. And today, when we woke up, your goodness and your mercies, they were new, and you've given them to us. In your name we pray. Amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you so much. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.